1: Welcome to Men Talk on Plains FM 96.9, a playful search for understanding and appreciation of men. I'm Ian Ferguson, coordinator of International Men's Day in New Zealand. On today's show, I'm very pleased to talk to Bettina Arndt. Bettina is a courageous and forthright advocate for men. She received the Member of the Order of Australia Award in 2020 for significant service to the community as a social commentator and to gender equity for advocacy for men. So thank you very much for coming on, Patina.
0: Nice to be here, Ian. Nice to talk to you.
1: So perhaps we can start with a little bit of your, your history, your journey.
0: I've worked pretty much all my life in the media. Um, having started out thinking I was going to be a clinical psychologist, I ended up doing research on um, sex therapy um, because one of our teachers was very interested in sex therapy. This is back in the 1970s when it was all very new and exciting and um, and I decided this was, what, this was the area I wanted to work in um, and I ended up working for a little magazine uh, it was called Forum which was an ad, sort of an adult sex education magazine based mainly around answering people's letters who had sexual problems or Concerns about sex. Anyway, so I got involved in that um, and had a fantastic first ten years of my career, mainly working in the media, teaching people about sex. And so, if if you if you come meet anybody over sixty or or so, maybe a bit later, a bit older, uh, in Australia, they will probably remember me from I was on television and radio every day for every week, um, talking about this sort of stuff. Uh, and it was a fantastic start to my career. And I was then mainly motivated to try to help women. I was very excited by the women's movement and uh, and was very keen to help women enjoy their sexuality more. Um, but gradually I started to listen to men and men would talk to me about their sex lives. Everyone, everyone talked to
1: me about their sex lives. Um, but... I bet you couldn't get away from it, could
0: you? No, no, it was was a very hilarious period of my life, really. Um, But, of course, once people start talking about that, they talk about other things that are bothering them. And so I listened to a lot of men's stories about what was happening to them, including, you know, sadly, of course, men who weren't seeing their children after divorce. And so I started to listen to what it's like to be on the other side of the fence, if you like. After about 10 years, for various reasons, I ended up, Moving away from all of that and talking about broader social issues, and inevitably got sucked in more and more into writing about men. I mean, I suppose I've always, at some level, been attracted to what is it we are, what is it we're not allowed to talk about? You know, that was, I suppose, part of the initial attraction about sex. I just thought it was so ridiculous that he was part of normal life, that we were, it was such a taboo mm. when I started out and, you know, something you weren't supposed to have normal adult conversations about. And the same I I've, I've found was happening in the, you know, this was by the early 80s, I suppose. Um, what was fast becoming a taboo was to ever present the male perspective on anything. So in terms of relationships and social issues, it, we were already seeing, total domination of the public discourse uh, by the feminist narrative, by women's needs, women's wants, women's concerns. And if you wrote about men, um, you know, you weren't exactly welcome. Um, so I, I started, I, I think, like a moth to the flames. I was irresistibly attracted to that and also very annoyed that um, we weren't allowing both sides of these important social issues to be presented. Um, so I started to write more and more about men's issues. I got more and more involved in issues like family law. So I spent, you know, probably three decades pretty much just writing. I was still employed full-time writing. I had a very good gig writing for our biggest newspapers, deliberately there to present provocative views. And it was, you know, regarded as extremely provocative to defend men, which is the great irony, isn't it? And I suppose what, what was really funny was I, I was being seen as conservative. I mean, here's someone who sounded off as being regarded as anything but conservative, of course, in my early days. But because I was defending men, that was seen as a conservative position to take. I mean, there's so many anomalies about this whole issue, really. Anyway, so that's where I was. I I spent many years writing about these issues. I got involved in various government um, inquiries into family law, where I was included to present the male point of view. There was a very sneaky trick going on at that point. This is under a conservative government, uh, John Howard's government. They realized that what you know, the Femocrats the who were setting up the various government committees would always put the absolute worst representatives from the men's groups in there. I mean, people who just couldn't possibly do a particularly good job defending men.
1: They get to tick the boxes, hey, yes, we've consulted with men.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've got this person. And so they started seeking me onto various committees, which was quite a funny position to be in. Uh, and, oh, it was a real lesson to me watching these Absolutely formidable women. I mean, the women's movement was just hitting their straps at that point and they'd have these highly professional submissions and huge, group after group after group of women's, you know, from various women's groups lobbying on whatever the question was. And, oh, I, I, and then you'd have individual men, intelligent, educated men writing individual submissions and that's what would happen. You know, a bloke mm-hmm. would who had paid for expensive lawyers to defend him in family court, would write a submission about the incredible prejudice he he encountered. It's like a a mosquito throwing himself at one of those enormous electronic mozzie zappers, you know. I mean, here was this huge feminist machine running the place and these blokes on their own trying to present what was a very reasonable point of view, and they had no hope in hell. Uh, but it's because men, as you know, don't get together. I mean, this has the, been the extraordinary thing to witness that our society, which is still essentially has a lot of men in power. Uh, and that's, of course, the big argument from the feminist point of view.
1: We must be listening to men because all the men are in power talking.
0: And, of course, the men who are still running the place are uh, essentially being cowards by, you know, they're so afraid of sticking their necks up that they'll line up to support the feminist point of view, and they're desperate for the brownie points from the feminists. So they're totally useless. I mean, I remember once I was on a committee, and this guy came up to me who was a very senior bureaucrat, and he said to me, look, I always thought these men groups were pathetic. And then he told me about, you know, coming home one day and discovering his wife had left him. She'd actually changed the locks on their house. and no, and he ended up trying to get in and taken away by the police and locked up. And mm. he was just gobsmacked that, that could have happened to him. And he realised he just never listened properly to what was happening mm. to men because he just thought they were more, those guys were a bunch of losers. You know, and it's only when individual men have this sort of thing happen to them that they begin to realise what's going on here. But um, even then they really joined together in groups the men's movement isn't really a movement. It's individual groups of, of guys, and the men who join the movement mm. are often men who have no other option and quite often sort of broken men. I mean, I, I can't tell you what my mailbox has been like for th- the last 30 years, just man after man who's been destroyed by our legal system. And those guys are not in a position to advocate. They, they're they not powerful men. They're often, often not men who have the skills that are needed to be heard properly when it comes to a government commission or whatever it is, you know.
1: You filled the gap.
0: Sorry, and I was just going to say it's, it's been absolutely extraordinary watching this juggernaut mow down our society. And you're awe-inspiring how well the feminists have taken over our justice system, our education system, our institutions, our professions, that I mean, you have to stand there and applaud them. They're just extraordinary.
1: Mm-hmm. I've just <laughs> I just made an individual a submission as an individual to our family violence consultation. So I was doing research on it. It's just astounding to see how little of men's voices have been taken into account like for example our previous strategy was based on a survey only surveying women victims of violence and that's what we've been doing for since 2003 is all based on that they and so they have basically they've just completely ignored any men's voices uh is and yep. and the, of course uh, yeah i i
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's just, oh, you don't know where to start. Do you? And, you know, the trouble is I would probably, having been on some of those committees, I would say don't bother making submissions, which is really sad, but they don't read them. I mean, the the, the bureaucrats, the femen- femocrats running these things, you know, they, they essentially, of course, shape the whole report mm. and they show the people on the board or the commission or whatever it is, the inquiry, only select submissions. I mean, it's all doctored.
1: Yeah, I... um that there, will be there'll be a, a paragraph or a sentence somewhere where that says, "In some men said, blah blah blah."
0: Yeah, and they often won't even report them properly.
1: So, um, my, yep. uh, yeah, sorry, I was kind of, I was kind of going a big spiel, but this show isn't about me.
0: <laughs> I know. Well, I'm sure everyone listening has got their own. I mean, it's incredibly sad. I mean, I, I must say, I'm in a rather pessimistic mood at the moment. Because um, in area after area we're losing.
1: So let's 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 back up a wee bit um, and and go back to to you, some of your earlier work about about men and relationships. What are the kind of things that men were telling you that they they wanted out of a relationship?
0: What do men want from their relationships that they're not
1: oh, that's a big question. I know. <laughs> well,
0: well th- no. I mean, I would say the number one. If you walk down the streets of New Zealand or Australia and ask married men what they're not getting from their relationships, there'd be one big answer, and that would be more sex. Um, And, of course, that's a topic that's very important to me. About 12 years ago, I wrote a book called The Sex Diaries. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd actually just moved out of mainstream journalism, and I thought, well, now's the time to actually really do a proper book about you know, sit down and do some proper research on something. And this was always an issue that interests me. Uh, what's happening in relationships in terms of the sex supply? If one person wants sex more than the other, what happens? Um, and Because i spent my whole life with men talking to me about, I mean, essentially being sex starved. And, we, and I watched this whole progression from the you know, 1950s when I was – Child, you know, I mean, g- growing up in the 1950s through to the 60s, when there was this total reversal. We went from sex being part of the wifely duty and men having conjugal rights to a situation now where, where if women don't want sex, it just doesn't happen. And this whole narrative about, um, mm. you know, any idea that there's any obligation to c- take care of your partner sexually. Needs has just gone out the window.
1: <laughs> well, in 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 one direction. In one
0: direction, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Uh, so, um, if for for women, um, there's a lot of talk about how um men need to pick lift up their game in the in the bedroom and oh, yeah. and that sort well, of thing.
0: Right. Uh, look, you know, there's endless criticism of men, but the bottom line issue we know in relationships, there's actually a growing gap in sexual desire in relationships now. It's getting worse. Lots of women, the majority of women, in fact, go off sex in long-term relationships, lose interest, and now they feel no no obligation to do anything about that. They're they're told that's just fine. You know, the man should suck it up or not suck it up or whatever. Um, Yeah. So they, you know, it's very clear that this is something that men are expected to put up with. Anyway, I did this wonderful book where I had 98 couples who kept diaries for up to a year about how they negotiate their sex supply, you know. And so if you feel like having sex um, on any one day, you know, do you try to initiate it? How does she react or how mm. does he react? And they were right. so they were writing these diaries for me every day and they'd send them in to me at like 3 o'clock in the morning and I'd, I'd leap out of bed every day to see what happened last night. It was, I mean it was the most extraordinary period of my mm. life and – I mean, I loved doing that book, and it was uh, really significant. It ended up being translated into languages all over the world, and I heard from people all over the world, and just and not just men, lots of men, of course, saying they'd never really heard anybody talk about what that's like for a mm. man to have to beg for sex. Um, but women writing to me saying that you know, women would say they ne- never really thought about what that was like for their partners. Uh, I was once giving a talk to a group of lawyers, husbands and wives, you know, together uh, at a dinner. And a woman came up to me afterwards and she said she was sitting there with her husband while I was speaking and he suddenly teared up. He got, and tears were running down his cheeks and he grabbed a glass of water and she'd never seen that man cry. And she was so shocked that clearly I was talking about something that meant so much to him. Mm, mm. I mean, she was sounding like a, a sensible woman who said, I'm going to go and find out what's going on here. And and she, she obviously felt very guilty that they never talked about it. Um, but, I mean, it's, so it's an amazing experience. Anyway, that that was just one area. I'm not saying that's all that matters to men, but I'm saying that's a really big theme mm. that they're not even allowed to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I, um, I saw a tweet where um, a psychologist said um, – a relationship without sex for men is like a relationship without conversation for a woman, which I thought was, was quite insightful.
0: Pretty good. And you notice Jordan Peterson recently has been getting much more spoken about that, saying it's not on, you know. And and that if, if there's no sex happening in the marriage, one person is making that decision usually, you know, to
1: the relationships should work for both people. Yeah.
0: But what we hear now I mean what we hear endlessly is everything, as you say, women talking endlessly about what's wrong, what's missing from their relationships, and he should talk more and he should do this and he should help me more around the house and he doesn't help with, you know, all this stuff. We, they go on and on and on about what's missing for women and, you know, this huge issue for men just doesn't get a look in. And, and because I talked about it, I'm a, there's a blog which says, Bettina Arndt, rape cheerleader, you know, <laughs> to even suggest your, uh, you need to think about the impact of rejection on your partner mm. is seen as encouraging rape, you know. So that, but that's only one. I mean, I, obviously there's so many other issues. I'm very conscious of men tiptoeing in their relationships now, mm. um, not daring to rope the boat, being so aware of um, how much they have to lose, um, Really scary stuff. I think I might, Yeah, you know, we I haven't talked yet about, I've been working for the last year or so on a project called Mothers of Sons where, I mean, I've always had women coming to me talking about what, you know, older women talking about what's happened to their sons. You know, they're not seeing their grandchildren anymore because they've had a divorce and the, the ex-wife won't let them see the kids anymore. Whatever mm, it is. Mm. Uh, and so we put together this website, which is all about, Mothers telling the stories of what's happened to these, to their families, to their sons, and, and the impact on the whole family. And we did a project recently where we, were tra- we, I was trying to get people to come forward with examples of shaming of boys in schools. Mm. Um, we've had a few cases in, Austra- in the in the media in Australia recently where they found boys were having to stand up and apologise for being male, that sort of stuff. And we thought it'd be interesting to try to encourage the people who are following mothers or sons to to find examples of that, find out what's going on Mm. in their son's schools and come to us with the evidence we would go to the media. Nothing. Not a word. We didn't get any, you know, we got so little response to that. And it's because that younger generation, those marriages of, you know, parents who have kids still in school. I think there's been an enormous shift in the balance of power in those relationships, and the mothers think it's just fine for boys to be taught, you know, to apologise for toxic masculinity and to have to learn to, um, you know, seek consent every inch of the way, and all that stuff. There are so many mums who are on board for that, and the dads don't dare say boo. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be fathers out there who don't agree with all that, but they wouldn't dare rock the boat anymore. And that's what's interesting to me. Mm. You know, I once wrote an article about um, rugby. My kids, my boys, played rugby, and you know, I'm a big supporter of rugby. And I wrote this article about why there was a bit. There's been this ferocious attempt to get to stop boys playing rugby mm. from mothers. And, of course, they're, they're doing really well. They're getting more and more boys to give up rugby and start playing soccer, which they think is less dangerous. And I spent a whole morning once on a Saturday morning walking around a soccer field talking to these dads, big dad, big blokes, mm, and mm. saying to them, did you play soccer when you were a kid? No, 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 I played rugby. Oh, well, why is your son playing soccer? Oh, Mum thinks it's safer. Mum thinks – I mean, can you imagine the 1950s? No father <laughs> would say, oh, Mum can choose what sport my son plays. Mm. Mm. I mean, what does that say about our society?
1: You've just written another book which kind of includes all of these kind of issues that, that men are facing that we've, we've talked about and and some other ones as well.
0: Well, it was, it was really a collection of my writing. It's called Hashtag Men Too. And it was about, it's a collection of all my writing about men's issues over the last few decades, really. Um, you know, covering some stuff around family law, boys' education, all the big issues that I've been concerned about, Me Too, the whole Me Too campaign, uh, sexual harassment. One of the big areas, one well, I suppose my absolute passion in recent years has been what's happening on campuses in Australia. Across the country, our universities have set up what are really kangaroo courts. They've set up regulations uh, to adjudicate rape on campus, that which is, of course, following from... The wonderful example set by Joe Biden in America, I mean, when he was vice president under Obama, in the Obama administration, he he announced he was going to use the campuses to change the sexual culture of America. And he required all universities to set up these tribunals, which totally... Uh, you know, made no attempt to protect the legal rights mm. of the accused boys, and hundreds of boys have been thrown out of college in America, and they're they're now all su- suing the universities. There's been a, over 600 legal cases against the universities in America, and they're ma- they're winning. And but exactly the same has happened in Australia. I've been contacted by boys in, in, on campus across the country who are being having these. You, Secretive committees of university administrators who have the power to withhold these kids' degrees, to do, to throw them out of college, to throw them out of university, and no oversight, no one looking to see whether this is being done in a fair way, which of course it isn't. Um, so
1: these are situations where it's a it's a essentially a he said she said situation, and the university says, okay, we'll sort this out. Um, don't go to the police.
0: Well, they will send them to the police as well sometime. I mean, there's been a bit of a shift in that respect. So they'll send them to the police. But we've got a case at the moment I'm working with where the criminal court, a magistrate, threw it out about three weeks ago and said, this is just, it was just such a rubbishy case where the girl was pretty drunk. You know, they ended up on top of each other, half naked in a bed. And the girl herself said nothing happened. And it was some of her friends who claimed that something had happened. The court threw it out and the university decided they still want to investigate this case. Mm. Anyway, I've I've had a group of lawyers um, working with me for the last few years. I started off, a few years ago, I went out on campuses speaking out about this which was one of the most hair-raising years of my life.
1: Yes, you got into some kerfuffles, didn't you? Oh, well,
0: the riot squad was needed, called in to protect me at Sydney University. Here I am, the old grandma, being screamed at by these young students, um, telling me to get off campus and so on. Uh, Anyway, it was all pretty exciting at the time, and it actually led to the government, instituted a free speech inquiry about free speech on campus and, and there were new regulations which I take credit for which is pretty exciting <laughs> um, anyway but it's uh, been an ongoing battle because um, we know we've got all these individual cases and we're looking at taking some of these to court this year finally.
1: So the cases against the universities. Cases
0: against the universities who are failing to protect the, the legal rights of these students and just outrageous but it's a slow process, but I think we've got to get somewhere finally. Oh, that's good. But i tell you something funny. I mean, last year, of course, I'm taking on a very powerful lobby, which is particularly a group of women who set up this whole apparatus on our universities, a group called End Rape on Campus. And in particular, one woman who's been writing articles attacking me for decades <laughs> – well, not decades, but at least for the last five years um, – and then last year, you mentioned I was given an honours award by our government and this woman decided to take me out and it shows how powerful they are. They enlisted two Attorney Generals and the whole Australian Senate to condemn me. They've never had such a fuss over an honours award ever. They had thousands and thousands of people writing to the Governor General asking my award being rescinded And they circulated – if you go on Wikipedia or something, which has been taken over by the feminists, you'll find all this rubbish about me. Uh, They've circulated – they've taken videos I've made and cut them up in – and feature, you know, three words from here and three words from here to make me look as disreputable and <laughs> as appalling as you possibly can and mm, have lied mm. about what I've said and anyway, so last year I was cancelled in Australia, which has been pretty depressing, I mean I've been in the media all my life and now the media won't have anything to do with me in Australia, which is pretty sad for me.
1: <laughs> oh dear, and you have to put up with New Zealanders asking you to come on their little yeah, no, little no, shows. No. <laughs> but that's okay,
0: I mean I'll get there, believe me, they may have cancelled me in Certain sectors of the media, mainstream media, which no one ever looks at anyway. But I, I'm doing just fine. I'll get there in the end.
1: This is all because you have been advocating that men are treated fairly in in those cases.
0: My my award was for promoting gender equity through advocacy, advocacy for men. I want an equal society. I wanted an equal society when I was a feminist back in the 1970s. I thought we needed a level playing field. We still need a level playing mm. field. We don't need a society where we tilt laws, yeah. rules, and regulations endlessly to favour women at the expense of men. Mm. And that's what we're doing. And lots and lots of women agree with me that they they are very concerned about what's happening to men in our men and boys in our society. Um, mm and it's what what the feminists are doing has got nothing to do with equity. Mm, mm.
1: Yeah, it's it's very difficult to to advocate for men. Um I know that I've been treated with suspicion <laughs> when I've tried to um to advocate um there was a an organization doing um they're trying to put together a diversity and inclusion strategy for New Zealand. And so I I contacted them and said I'd like to be involved in your in your consultation. Um, I'm interested in, in in men, and then they had to kind of vet me to make sure that I wasn't crazy or you know. <laughs> and it was like it was an interesting interesting process, but not something that I can imagine any other advocates would have to go through. If someone said I'd like to advocate for so and so in your in your consultation, that that wouldn't happen. So there's a no, no. It's it's difficult to. Advocate for men.
0: Oh, it is, and of course, it's much easier as a woman. I mean, that, that's, that's always been my advantage. That people have been writing to me for years and years and years, saying, "I could never say that." Thank, thank you for saying that. You know that I can speak out about issues um, that men would dare say publicly. That's the great irony across the world. Some of the great advocates for men are now women. Mm. Um I've got you know some fabulous women in Canada you know Janice Fumingo and uh Diana Davis and, and you know mm. in in England too uh it's much easier for us than it is for men
1: mm. the, the the great irony I see is that um for all the people talking about harmful gender stereotypes when when you advocate for men what you're essentially saying is uh, men can be vulnerable and women can be powerful. <laughs> That's kind of the underlying thing. That, but people don't want to hear that.
0: <laughs> no, and that, and they particularly don't want to hear that. What we're doing, for instance, to our justice system, which was, which started off from an important point of view that it was true that rape victims weren't treated properly in our criminal justice system, and it was very important to encourage them to come forward and and create an environment where they are heard and felt supported and so on. And what have we done? We've absolutely now tilted it so far in that direction that the, the rights of the accused man are about it being constantly watered down. And it, it's frightening what's happening there.
1: I've heard people arguing that there are not enough convictions um, and we need to do more to get more convictions, which just strikes me as something that, a totalitarian oppressive state would would do it was like okay it would just start throwing people in prison to get the numbers up that's completely unjust
0: well that's that's the great irony and i mean that's how this whole campus stuff started the feminists on the record have said that's why they wanted to get on campuses because what the area that in terms of sexual assault they're really concerned about are the date rape cases and the cases of young kids who are either dating or, you know, it's just a hook-up or whatever it is, and those are the complicated Mm. sexual consent cases, which when they go to court, jury's notes usually won't send those young guys to prison Mm -mm. for seven or ten years when they don't know who to believe. It's a he said, she said case. Mm. And the feminists have openly stated that's why they wanted to get on campus and have a different standard of proof the lowest standard proof for the balance of probabilities, and that's what they've done. I mean, it's just gobsmacking, and that's what they're systematically doing to our justice system. I was actually just contacted by some New Zealand lawyers wanting me to write something about this. A concerted complaint in New Zealand, in Canada, in Britain, and Australia to claim that our justice system is not getting enough convictions, to constantly distort the statistics, mm. to, present, to pretend that. You know, it's not being treated seriously in our criminal justice system and to find more and more ways of making it impossible for men to defend themselves so we get more convictions. Uh, I actually released a video a couple of weeks ago with one of Australia's best known barristers in this area, criminal barristers, a woman who was a public prosecutor for decades and who put some of our most horrible rapists in prison. I mean, she, she worked... For the crown prosecuting these guys, and now she's in private practice defending men and she spoke out about this mm. deliberate attempt to claim that our justice system isn't um, isn't doing enough in terms of convicting men uh, it, it's a fantastic lecture people might want to look at my YouTube videos to see that one because she was absolutely outspoken about this lie that's being perpetuated there yeah
1: I, I mean it's we, we, definitely, we definitely want to, to prosecute rapists, but, but we, can't, we can't just you know, round up a bunch of people and put them in prison. Um, we need a justice system that's just.
0: Oh, no, it's not just. I mean, what they've done in New South Wales now is, this is what she was actually commenting on, was we've got now new affirmative consent laws, which is actually making most of the sex most of us have illegal. Because in order to have legal sex, you have to get mm. consent, enthusiastic consent, every inch of the way. So the man has to constantly check with the woman: Can I touch your breast? Can I, you know, move on to your nipple? Whatever it mm. is. And if you're not doing that, your the sex, sex is illegal. But of course, who's going to prove any of this? How's a man ever going to prove he has consent?
1: I've heard some people making the argument that that people consent out of fear, um, or coercion or whatever. So you can't...
0: Well, you can, yeah, that's right. You can give consent. But that's what the feminists will say. And women always have the right to change their minds afterwards because they can turn around and say, I was coerced into that. I didn't really mean it. You know, I had too much to drink, whatever it is.
1: So getting affirmative, affirmative consent doesn't mean anything?
0: It doesn't mean anything anyway. But it's just a very good way of women... Um, you know, you start a relationship... She thinks it's the start of something wonderful. He realizes, this, you know, this isn't for me, and she's really disappointed that the relationship doesn't progress. She can send him to jail, and that's what she can do now under the way our laws are being currently tilted. Um, thank God our, our juries are still quite often holding up and, you know, not caving in to pressure to to convict these. Young men. It's usually young men, um, but I think it's going to get worse and worse. I, I had a guy contact me the other day who'd been on a jury, and he said there was some couple of very feisty women on that jury who really bullied them all into convicting the accused. And, and luckily, they withstood the the pressure.
1: Oh dear, <laughs> I think I think it must be time to take a break after that with that, that bout of heavy, complicated <laughs> discussion. <laughs> Men talk on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, thanks, Bettina. We've, we like to ask everyone two questions, Bettina. Um, one is, what do you like about men? And the other one is, if you had a magic wish to make the world a better place, what would you wish for? So what do you like about men?
0: I've always loved men. I had a fabulous father who was a, a real inspiration, um, far, extremely smart, but warm, funny, you know, really wonderful, wonderful father for me. Uh, And that's always a very good start for a woman's life, I think. Um, And I've had wonderful men throughout my life. Um, I've been extremely lucky one way or another. Um, One of the things I enjoy is how different they are from me. I don't expect a man to be like me and I enjoy the fact that they often approach things differently differently. Um, you know, less inclined to gnaw the bone and stew over issues that are, <laughs> that concern me, and more practical. And uh, I mean, obviously, there are lots of men who have very different characteristics, but it's the difference from the feminine, and I think it's something that's really appealed to me. I'm very Neanderthal in enjoying rather traditional men. I don't want <laughs> uh, a man to be like me. I want a man to be. Different from me and offer characteristics that I don't have. Um, so, and i you know, I've, I've found plenty of them in my life, which has been fantastic. And I have some two lovely sons who are very different, different sort of men, but you know, wonderful examples of young men today. So, really lucky.
1: Excellent. And and for your magic wish, what would you wish for? You can't wish for more wishes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would wish for the silent majority to start to roar uh, and that particularly means women I have I know that more people agree with me on issue after issue than they do with the popular feminist narrative that is controlling dialogue in our society uh, but they're quiet about it and they don't dare speak out We need that majority view to be to get out there, those people to get out there and talk openly about how they feel. We particularly need lots of women to start defending men because I I think it genuinely is that we're in a very difficult place when it comes to men speaking out for themselves and it's those men's mothers and their, you know, there are so many women, right, to me, who have men in their lives that they care about, whether it's sons or brothers or uncles or... And all those women have to start to really make a lot of noise and talk to politicians and talk to decision-makers and talk to the powerful men running our society and say, the feminists don't speak for us.
1: Mm. Mm. Excellent. Well, thank you very much mm. for coming on the show, Bettina. It's, it's been... been
0: very nice to talk to you, Ian.
1: Oh, <laughs> you're coming to New Zealand.
0: Oh, I am coming to New Zealand. Well, I hope if this ridiculous COVID nonsense doesn't settle down, I mean, hopefully our countries will get their act together um, and open up our countries and I will get to New Zealand. The moment is looking pretty dicey, but right. I'm, I'm planning a little cycle. I'm a mad cyclist and I'm planning to come in um, in December for a little cycling trip.
1: Oh, excellent. Well, hopefully, hopefully that all happens and, and you enjoy your time here.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. Last time I came to New Zealand, I was on also on a cycling trip, and I fell off a bridge in the first hour of my visit.
1: <laughs> oh, dear.
0: <laughs> and broke my collarbone. So I, can, I can't get worse. I can only get better. <laughs> and listen, the previous time, I, I've been twice in New Zealand in hmm. the last 10 years. The previous time I was there to give a lecture to urologists at the Christchurch earthquake, um, <laughs> so, oh. I, I mean, any sensible person in my situation would stay away from new zealand but i'm going to try again
1: oh yeah uh, I'm, I'm in christchurch so i'm well well acquainted with the earthquake yeah
0: yeah so there you are all right and i'm hoping i'll get there
1: yeah, excellent um right let's end the show there you've been listening to me and talk on planes fm 96.9